Okay, good morning to all of you. Good to see you saved some of the energy from last Sunday and brought it, brought it along. This is good, this is good. Okay. All right, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, show us what it is that we are to believe and to do through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, good to be back with you. Um, uh, today, I'm going to be taking you on the road, on the road with Jesus, from the Gospel of Luke, starting at the end of chapter 9, verse 51, to be exact, all the way through chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. A long trip, 10-chapter trip to Jerusalem, where, of course, uh, Jesus will be arrested and crucified. So 1929 will be the Palm Sunday event, Jesus riding into Jerusalem. I'm going to take you into that, uh, the section that starts this, what's often referred to as the travel narrative in Luke. Some of the most memorable parts of the Gospel of Luke are in this bigger chunk of material, like his his, uh, his famous parables, the prodigal son, for example, uh, is in there. We're going to get a parable today, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to take us through uh, the beginning, chapter 9, 51 through 11, 4, where I've color-coded some key terms that will pop up throughout at the beginning and then at the end of this opening section. I do believe it really speaks to our life together as a people of God. We're, we're, we're going to hear a number of major themes from Luke's gospel in this smaller section of end of 9, beginning of chapter 11. Uh, we'll hear about what it is to follow Jesus. We'll hear about what it means to love God, what it means to love the neighbor. We'll hear about what it means to pray. All the essentials are actually here. And God's reign that's come in the person of Jesus. It is a communal thing because at the very end, uh, when we are, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, that is of course a communal prayer, is it not? The pronouns in there are first person plural, the us's, our, right? You might pray it by yourself, but you're praying it together with the whole church. We're in community together. Um, so, uh, and, and I think, you know, a number of studies have been done, you know, recently about why folks aren't coming to church. And there's been a huge drop off in the United States, you know, in the last 10 years. Some estimate, uh, as it, compared to 10 years ago, there are 30% fewer people in church on a Sunday morning. Uh, certainly COVID has something to do with that, but the seeds were sown before that, where we don't, and the, the thinking seems to be that one of the causes is that we don't think in communal terms, in congregation terms. We, we live for ourselves. You know, back in the good old days when I was a kid, of course, we'd get together and get the kids from the neighborhood and somebody's got the ball, somebody's got the bat and we're off to the park and we form our own team. Now everybody's sitting inside by themselves playing video games. I noticed that with my own students, okay? I, I, not, not those over there, of course. But uh, 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 walk, walk into class, uh, some students are already there, but nobody's talking to anybody. They each is sitting there with their 
the electronic device, the, you know, each, each listening to their own tune. Okay, we can't even listen to the same music together anymore. So that's a problem. And, um, yeah. Uh, so I do think there's a communal aspect to what's going on in this section today. So, chapter 951 starts out, Now when the days of his ascension drew near, Jesus determined to journey to Jerusalem. And there it begins. The ascension in Luke's Gospel and Luke's writings, which include the book of Acts, is not simply the physical act of the disciples seeing Jesus say goodbye, but it's his exaltation. It's the resurrection, the exaltation, his glorification. But as Jesus himself would say to the two men on the road to Emmaus, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? So the suffering before the glory. So Jesus is determining to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead. That theme's going to come out into the, in the next section, chapter 10, as well. Jesus is sending messengers, emissaries on ahead, which I do believe also sets up the whole book of Acts, which is about what the apostles do. So I think one way to think about the whole book of Acts is when Peter goes out, or when Paul goes on his journeys, they are really the... Uh, messengers preparing the way for the coming of Jesus in the congregation and he comes to you through the Word of God and the sacraments. So we've got that going on. He sent messengers, 52, on ahead to a Samaritan village in order to make arrangements for his arrival. So in an advanced team. But they refused to welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, just a footnote on these Samaritans because we're going to meet them again in one of the most famous parables in Luke, just a little bit. Uh, Samaritans lived in the middle of the country, like, like in the middle of your map there that I've got for you. Uh, their origins go way back into Old Testament times um, when the Assyrians came and attacked the northern kingdom of Israel and obliterated it and they brought in Assyrians to intermarry with Israelites. And that group then becomes the Samaritans. They hold to the same God as the Israelites, but they don't worship in Jerusalem. We have, of course, in John's Gospel, uh, the encounter of Jesus at the well of Samaria with the woman, woman at the well, okay? And she recognizes, you know, we do things differently than you Jews do. So the, and there was this, thus this tension, big time. Most folks going from the northern part, Galilee, to Jerusalem would bypass Samaria altogether. They'd, they'd take an extra couple of days just to avoid walking through Samaritan territory. So on the one hand, uh, it says uh, they, the Samaritans refused to welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. That's not where you should worship. You should worship on this hill in Samaria. So on the one hand, on the surface, this is expected. The disciples chime in, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Okay, well, that's the solution, isn't it? Just get rid of these folks. And he turned and rebuked them, the disciples. 
that's already a clue that Jesus is up to something totally different than the expected. We're expecting Jesus to go along with their request, yeah, zap them. But no, no, it's disciples that get rebuked. They go on to another village. And then the question of following Jesus is raised. There is a misprint, a scribal error somewhere in there. In around about verse 60, some words got messed up. But um, basically, the, the, thus, right from the start the, uh, in this passage, the, the issue of following Jesus is set forth. Christianity ultimately is following Jesus. Now, what does that imply? It implies, among other things, total devotion to Jesus, and nothing else should stand in the way. Let, what's the phrase that's missing is, let the dead bury their own dead. You go proclaim God's reign, usually translated the kingdom of God. You proclaim God's reign. Um, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for God's reign. You've got to go with Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. Then in chapter 10, we get this episode of Jesus appointing 72 others and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was planning to go, thus prefiguring the mission of the apostles later on in the book of Acts, preparing the way for Christ to come in baptism, sacrament, and his word. The uh, instructions given to them I find quite interesting. He, he's totally upfront with them and he says, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. Oh, that's great. Um, and carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. Greet nobody on the road. Uh, when you enter a house, first say, peace on the house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it'll return to you. Stay in the same house eating and drinking whatever they offer. Now, why should they do that? Why might they want to move to a different house? Yeah? Okay, okay, they don't want to exhaust the host's resources. Okay, all right. The food might not be kosher. Uh, might not be kosher or? Not converted. Very good, okay. Yeah, I don't know if some of you are in uh, music things, and uh, uh, I still remember back to my college days. Uh, I was in college choir. We traveled around, and uh, we were placed with some family after the after the you know sang in the sang in the church. The first thing we do when you get back on the bus, of course, is compare notes. What what you, right, you know? What was your place like? What what kind of food did they serve you? I still remember a trip to New. Uh, we went to Long Island and. My host family just gave us some cookies and milk and said, you know, good, good night. Got on back in the bus and others got to take a trip to Manhattan and, you know, saw Times Square and, <laughs> really, really, uh, okay. So, yeah, um, I, think, I think what's going, thus, you know, that would be the reason why they move, move around, okay, here, you know, maybe you got a better deal at some other house. I think what Jesus here is trying to teach is you got to be taught how to receive hmm. and to be gracious to your host, receive no matter what. So let me give you a little story here. Maybe some of my students, I have, my apologies if you've heard this in a different context. So uh, my first call as a 
parish as a pastor was to a rural church in uh, Wisconsin. Um, and we had a number of uh, shut-in people that, that we had to serve, so I would have to you know, take communion to them you know, on a monthly basis. And one woman in particular lived in a shack in the middle of nowhere. She did not have telephone service. She didn't have electricity. She had a, a wood-burning stove and an outhouse. This is 1977, okay? So uh, church secretary somehow got in contact with the neighbor who would tell the woman that I'll be coming. This is, my f this is one of the first shut-in calls I ever made as a pastor. Got, got into the home. Oh, I also mentioned she's blind. came into this shack. She had communion already set up, you know, that she had the, her table, white tablecloth on it. I would just have to set up communion on, on, on the table. I noticed also she had a little uh, a plate there with something she's baked for me, a, a, little, a little cake. This is nice. I could smell the wood-burning stove, you know, all, all that kind of thing. Began the communion liturgy with her. As I'm saying the Lord's Prayer, I begin to hear noises above me. I looked up and there are about a dozen rats looking down on me. Now, what do you think my first thought was? I don't want to eat that cake. <laughs> uh, honestly, <laughs> somehow, I, somehow I got through that. I had to make the decision there eat or not eat, I'll be coming back to see her again. Can I receive from her? I'm bringing her God's most precious of gifts. So yeah, I think Jesus was teaching me right then and there, I have to receive from her, no matter what. And the body and blood of Jesus will take care of the rest. I think, that, I think that's what Jesus is teaching these folks here too. Um, yeah, so be willing to receive, be willing to receive. Do not move from house to house. Uh, bad things will hap happen if people reject Jesus here. Yeah. Verse 17, the return of the 72. Uh, this is the only passage I know of in the entire scriptures where we see Jesus really happy. Interesting. Verse uh, 21, at that very moment he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Because the report coming back is that uh, the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus then checks that and says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. Verse 24, I tell you, many prophets and kings long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. And now, okay, so that's more of a journey kind of thing that we've got going here. And all of a sudden, we get a little kind of different scenario, just kind of to almost totally out of the blue here. We're told that a Torah scholar stood up to test him. So that kind of language, that test him, okay, uh, tells us, of course, that this guy who's unnamed uh, really doesn't like Jesus, right? Okay, and he's trying to trick Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I'd say that's a pretty good question. Now, I know we with our Lutheran ears probably hear, well, you don't have to do anything. God does it all for us. Okay. But Jesus takes him, you know, uh, doesn't chastise him for that. He just, okay, you tell me, 
what's written in the law. How do you read it? And he quotes a couple of texts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Also love your neighbor as you love yourself. This combination of those two will be repeated other places, of course, in Scripture. Love of God and love of neighbor. Jesus says to the man, you've answered correctly, do this and life will be yours. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? So what does it mean, wanting to justify himself? I suppose we could hear that again, uh, wanting to save himself. I don't think that's necessarily the, uh, the nuance here. Um, why is he asking the question, who is my neighbor? Still testing Jesus. So he's still testing Jesus, but he's already Jesus has affirmed the guy's answer. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus says, well, do that and you're in. He wants to figure out who's not his neighbor. Okay, yeah. So he wants to be able to check and check off kind of, kind of thing, get it right. We're in the world of Phariseeism here, where, in, where indeed the Pharisee wants to go to bed at night and say, I thank you, God, that I've done it. In order to be able to do that, you've got to know what it is that you have to do. So the commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And so he asks, well, okay, who is my neighbor? Because the law says loving neighbor, and if there's somebody who's not my neighbor, right, then I don't have to love him. Kind of makes sense. <laughs> so taking him up on his query, Jesus replied, and then we get the famous parable of the Good Samaritan, right? We've already heard about Samaritans at the beginning of this section, right? Now the Samaritans come back. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and left him lying half dead. So Jesus is giving a story here uh, I think the uh, details are quite important. This is the Jerusalem to Jericho road. Uh, Jesus is not there yet on the map. He will be. The Jerusalem to Jericho road is the last leg of Jesus' trip, just before he does the Palm Sunday event. And we're going to hear about a Levite and a priest going down that road which would imply that they're on their way to Jerusalem to do their priestly thing. On this road, a man has been uh, stripped, beaten, and left lying half dead. If you're half dead, there's a 50-50 chance you'll also at one point be like all dead. So, so, <laughs> um, so I think we need to keep that in mind. So a Levite comes down, sees him, passes by on the other side because he doesn't want to be bothered. Why? Because if the guy's half dead, there's a chance he could be all dead, and then the Levite has a dead man on his hands, and that renders the Levite ritually unclean, and you're quarantined for a week. You can't do your job at the temple in Jerusalem. So he makes a decision. What's more important, giving first aid or doing my duty at the temple. It's repeated again with the next guy that uh, 
well, first is the priests and then a Levite. Same, same response from both of them. And then, and this is the, totally amazing, when a certain Samaritan who was traveling out of his country, out of his territory, that's really important where this is on the map, a Samaritan who was traveling came upon him, he was moved with compassion at the sight. Are we told what the priest or Levite felt about the guy who was beaten? No, they didn't have a heart. Oh, a Samaritan does. He's moved with compassion. He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. I think Luke in telling us this is, uh, you know, certainly maybe reflecting on his day job as a physician. And he's interested in these medicinal details. Good medicine, good first aid here. Then he put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn. You know, there's only one other time in the whole Bible where inn is mentioned. You know it. The Christmas story, of course. No room in the inn, right? Same gospel. Brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I return, that's important, I will reimburse you for whatever more you spend. So think of what's going on here. You've got this outsider, this Samaritan. He's in Judea, out of his territory. He's in a territory where folks hate Samaritans. He renders first aid. And he says, I'm coming back tomorrow. You know, back when I was a kid, there wasn't a whole lot on TV. You only got, what, the four channels and PBS, which didn't count. And, uh, it's a, it's a, and so it's all black and white, and half the shows are Westerns, right? <laughs> what happened? So let me put it in that kind of context, because I can't think of anything better. Um, let's, let's suppose a Cheyenne brave is riding into Dodge with a cowboy on his pony and there are two arrows in the back of the cowboy. What are the folks in Dodge going to think? <laughs> I'd submit, what are the folks on, in, at that inn and wherever the inn is located in Jericho, let's say, what are they going to think happened? Well, the Samaritan caused the problem. He's trying to just make up for it now. So when he comes back, what's the danger? He'll get charged with murder if he, doesn't, if he doesn't recover. And assault, certainly, if he does recover. In other words, the Samaritan in the story here is putting his own life on the line to ensure that this guy's taken care of. He gives upfront money and says, I'll, I'll pay anything, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I tell you, this is really a story about Jesus, isn't it? Who was ostracized from the inn. So, yeah, this is, this is, this is the story of, this is, this is the life of Christ here. But as Jesus tells the story, it, he doesn't end it like, he, like you think he's going to end it. Because there's one more sentence here. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now you probably think that, that the meaning of the story is, so the question was, who is my neighbor, and how does this parable answer that question then? Isn't it to anyone who is in need? Oddly, that's not what Jesus says. You notice the words, which of these three was a neighbor to the man? Not who is my neighbor, but who did the neighborly thing? Huh. Which brings us back to the Samaritan. But the Torah scholar here can't bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He can't get his mouth to pronounce that word, the one who showed him mercy. Mm. Jesus says to him, go and do the same. In other words, go act like the Samaritan. Okay? Jesus, Jesus is transforming all of those kind of categories. Transforming all those kind of categories. He takes it out of the you know, check, checklist kind of thing, but rather you know, act like the Samaritan. Not that all Samaritans are good, because some rejected him at the beginning of you know, chapter, or chapter 10, right? Now you remember, uh, flipping back to the previous page, when Jesus, uh, when the guy asked Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, how do you read it in the law, in the Torah? And he quotes the two commandments, right? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, and we just had this parable dealing with that question of neighbor with that twist to it. Still to be resolved is the issue of love for God. So we're still on the road, verse 38. As they were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. So I've highlighted that word because we bumped into it before. We bumped into it way at the beginning, already back in chapter 9, verse 53. And then it occurred again in chapter 10 on page 2 in that top paragraph there. Whenever you enter a town and the people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Whenever you enter a town and the people do not welcome you, go into its streets and say da 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 okay. So this aspect of welcoming Jesus has already been introduced. So I would submit to you that Martha is the welcoming committee here. She is, she's doing what was hinted at was going to be common early on, either welcoming or not welcoming Jesus. Martha welcomes him. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet listening to his word. Um, almost all English translations simply omit that word also. It's there in the Greek, but nobody treats it as if it doesn't exist. So what does that say? Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet, well, who, who else is sitting at the Lord's feet? Martha is, and, and, and Lazarus. Uh, maybe just a little footnote on that whole thing, because you just 
reminded me that, of course, Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus. Do you know where they live? Hmm? Bethany, Bethany. Where in the world is Bethany? It's actually on that little map I gave you. In very fine print. If you can find Jerusalem on the map there at the, towards the bottom, Bethany is to its right. It's just outside Jerusalem, on the other side of the Mount of Olives. Folks, Jesus is not there yet. Luke has not put things in chronological order. The early fathers recognized that. The Gospels don't necessarily put stuff in chronological order. Okay. Um, the, uh, of a description of what went into the writing of Mark's Gospel, which we can apply to Luke as well. It, it said that uh, Mark heard Peter teach and that Peter was just teaching via anecdotes from his experience with Jesus and didn't necessarily connect them in chronological order. So one day he'd preach a sermon on this thing that happened, next Sunday he'll preach a thing on this Sunday that happened in the life of Jesus, and the two aren't chronologically related. So he says, that's how the gospel writers just wrote down the stuff that they remembered, remembered from Peter, Peter's teaching. So we should not be surprised that things are not necessarily in chronological order. And Luke, of, Luke of course, knows that, okay, because he doesn't tell you where Mary, Mary and Martha are here in chapter 10. In fact, there is no mention of the house at all. Martha is just the welcoming committee as an example of how to welcome Jesus. So totally left out by Luke is, is, is the house and therefore the location is totally left out because Jesus is a long way from Bethany if we were to look at how this is situated running through Luke's gospel and put it on the map. So, uh, what does it mean to sit at the Lord's feet? Is that literal or is that an expression? More and more scholars are seeing this as not, that's not describing what's happening at that moment, but that's what she does. She is, she is a disciple, in other words. It's just another way of saying she is a disciple. She's also a disciple of Jesus. Now, Martha was stressed out about the many duties of her diaconal service. Um, there is absolutely no reference in the text either to house or to cooking. Interestingly enough, it's always assumed that Martha is busy in the kitchen. No mention of a kitchen here. What she's stressed out about is her diaconal service, or we would say human care ministry. And she's not getting any help from her sister, who is also a disciple. So on approaching him, she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the ministry by myself? So in verse 3, I, as I indicate there, you've got this Greek word that is the noun. And in the next verse, you've got the same word used as a verb. Okay. Um, not coincidentally, in Luke's volume two, the book of Acts, we find the exact same thing occurring on your back page. A situation in the early church arises 
where the widows are given a daily ration of food. The widows in the early Christian church are given a daily ration of, of food. But some aren't getting any because of the language they speak. Okay. Those who speak Greek and not Hebrew Aramaic are being left out solely on the basis of the language they speak. Hmm. We'd call that discrimination, right? If not racism. And so the 12, verse 2, summon the full number of the disciples and say, that's not right, that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Same word as in Luke. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry, diakonia, of the word. Okay, same word, again, used twice, once as a verb, once as a noun. Okay. So uh, that's the parallel from the, the book of Acts, which thus leads me, going back to the Mary and Martha story on page three, that uh, indicate that what Martha was trying to do was this human care ministry like giving widows food. And she wants help from her sister. Okay. Tell her to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried about and troubled about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is Essential should be the word that's there. Okay, chosen what is essential. Okay, so what do we have here? We've got we've got the an address of both those questions that were raised by the Torah scholar to Jesus. Okay, first being love of God and then love of neighbor. We already had explicated the uh, the Jesus response on on serving neighbor and tweaking it by saying doing the neighborly thing to the one in need. Be like the Samaritan. Here Jesus addresses the other issue. How do you love God? Okay. You love God by listening to his word. Okay. By sitting at Jesus' feet, literally and figuratively, hearing. Okay. Um, and that it's this one that is, hmm, is the chief of them. If you don't get that one right, if you can't sit and listen to Jesus and learn from him, you won't be able to serve your neighbor either, the way Jesus would want us to serve him. Okay? That's, that's tweaking it. If, if you really want to act like the Samaritan in the parable, who is ultimately willing to do what? Give his life for the guy who was beaten up. Are you willing? How in the world are you going to be willing to die for that if you don't hear Jesus? And what is it about hearing and following Jesus that makes the difference? It's, of course, Jesus himself and his own example, right? Which Luke, of course, already knows because he knows all this stuff you know, before he writes it down. Because what do we hear Jesus doing at the very end of the story while he's on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Yeah. So Jesus is willing to give his life. Yeah. Uh, even, even for the guy on, on the cross next to him who's a real scumbag. 
and he says, remember me. He does. Today in paradise, two of us together. So, yeah, so get the one straight. Okay. And that's sort of the, then the parallel back to the other one in order to be able to give to the host family, got to be first willing to receive from them. Okay. Show them that their cake is okay. And then we get the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, we're still on the road. Jesus had been praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Again, I'd submit that uh, we should really hear that communal aspect. Teach us as a group how to pray. John taught his group of disciples. John the Baptist is, is, is what's meant here. And uh, they want Jesus to do the same. They're asking for a specific prayers to say. And there, there's a difference in the Lord's Prayer, you know, is given two times in the scriptures, once here, and then in Matthew's Gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in Matthew's Gospel, it says, pray like this. So that's the model prayer of all other kinds of praying. Here, it's, say, this one, okay, this spe specific prayer. Now, we know that the early Christians um, listened to Jesus and actually memorized the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, because in an early Christian document called the Didache, I think I've mentioned that before, it's a, it's a first century church manual, probably to the end of the first century, gives instructions how to do stuff, okay? And in there we have the Lord's Prayer quoted verbatim from the scriptures, and it says specifically in there, say this prayer three times a day. which implies that they've memorized it already. So specifically say this prayer. It's more than just the model prayer, it's the prayer to say. Martin Luther unpacks that even more uh, in, in the, both small catechism and especially the large catechism. We say, if you wanna be sure that God hears your prayer, say the Lord's Prayer because he's given it to us. Okay? If, if you aren't sure what to pray about, try this one, okay? Um, so, yeah, say, say, this, say this prayer. Uh, by the way, uh, in Luther's catechism, for those of you who grew up with it, do you know how often you are to say the Lord's Prayer every day? Three times a day in the morning and meal. Oh, okay, so before and after every meal at six, plus when you get up in the morning and go to bed at night. Eight times, eight times. Okay. <laughs> yes, okay. Now, what, what kind of things do we pray for? Well, this has been treated so much, uh, but uh, Luke's, Luke's petitions are shorter, by the way. Uh, is, there's less here. Um, the way we know it and are going to pray it when we're done here in a few minutes, okay, is sort of a combination of the two, to be quite honest with you. Um, I give you my translation here. That's not because I think this is the way you should say it. 
Yeah. Luther in this uh, large catechism, actually in the preface to the small catechism, actually says just, just uh, pick a text and stick with it forever. Okay, don't change it. Okay. And, and Luther did it himself that, that way because uh, when he comes out with his German translation of the Bible, right, 1522 New Testament, um, the translation there is different than in his catechism, the German. So he doesn't use his own German in the catechism. He uses the German that had been said for decades before Luther was even born. So he uses the traditional one, if you will. Okay. Anyway, um, keep your name sacred, commence your reign, which is, I highlight that word because that's what was being talked about at the beginning of this story. Know that the reign of God has come among you. We'll pray for it then as well. Keep giving us our eternal bread each day. Forgive us our sins. I'd emphasize the communality of that one. Okay, we're, we're praying, we're interceding for each other when we're praying this, this prayer. And don't take us to trial. Us, not just me, but us. Okay. Um, so this is kind of brings this whole section uh, to a conclusion here. So what is, what is being taught here is to, to, follow, to follow Jesus along the way, no matter what, be willing to receive, under, understand that if you're going to serve someone else and do the neighborly thing, our model, of course, is Jesus, who is willing to give himself for the one in need, who did, in fact, give himself for us in our great need. A minute or so left, I'll stop there. Questions, thoughts? Anybody? Yes. An interesting point about uh, accept whatever they give you. Jesus, uh, in another context, another verse, says it's not what goes into your body, it's what comes out that defiles you. Yeah. So he's more or less driving the point, don't be too concerned about what you're eating. It's what you're putting forth. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.